Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. Hello everyone, my name is Grace and I'm your host on this episode of the DIGA podcast. I talk with Dr. Michael Goldfarb, a general dermatologist practicing in Dearborn, Michigan, and an adjunct faculty member at the University of Michigan Department of Dermatology. We hope that you, the listeners, can learn from Dr. Goldfarb's extensive experiences in the practice of dermatology. Without further ado, see you on the skin side. Welcome back to another episode of the DIGA podcast. I'm here with Dr. Michael Goldfarb, and he's going to introduce himself. Thank you, Grace. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Grace at the Academy meeting this year, and um, I have been in dermatology uh, since I started my residency in July of 1982. Uh, When I finished residency at the University of Michigan in 85, I stayed on staff for four years uh, doing clinical dermatology and clinical research. Um, In 1989, my satellite office They wanted to get rid of it. They were going to keep me, but I was kind of committed to my satellite office. So I did buy them out. I kept my satellite office and I have been for the last 34 years as a um, clinical researcher and and attending at the University of Michigan Dermatology Department. I've had the pleasure of working with uh, many medical students and residents uh, from 1985 to now as an attending. Um, Grace, do you want me to go into why I went into dermatology? Absolutely. Go for it. So I was going to be an internist. And when my third year, we had a two-week, not an elective, at that time it was a two-week core rotation, uh, clinical rotation in dermatology. And I noticed a few things that I really felt we were giving excellent care. Uh, It was a more limited um, aspect of the patient's care. You could see everything. I love the fact that I would see when you're in internal medicine, it's mostly seniors. When you're in pediatrics, of course, it's mostly children. Uh, Urology is mostly men. Uh, OB-GYN is mostly women. And in dermatology, I was seeing everything from a one-month-old to a hundred-year-old. Uh, men, women, adolescents to, um, you know, seniors. It's just the variety of the age and the fact that everybody wasn't either uh, retired or one age group or one gender, I found so refreshing. I liked the combination of medicine and surgery. But I also liked that it was just a great place to be. I remember walking through the halls and people would go, hey, what are you on this month? And I would say, oh, I'm doing my dermatology core. And they would say, lucky. And, the, and I go, what do you want? Oh, I'm on surgery. I go, aren't you going into surgery? They go, yes. I go, aren't you lucky? Well, you're luckier. And I thought, why can't I just be lucky the rest of my life? Which I really felt I have been. And it's not, it's not always that easy. I'm exhausted after a week. We see a lot of patients. We have to give a lot of care. Um, we have long problem lists, but I find it very rewarding and control of your life is, is one of the aspects I would, I say I like when you're on internal medicine, 
I mean, most of these people, Grace, they're third or fourth year at least, right? Yeah. When you're on internal medicine, and I know you've all had this, you might have a patient who's ill and you want to give them care, but first you have to get them into a bed or you have to get their blood work back or you have to get their smear done. In dermatology, you're really in control of everything. Um, it's mainly outpatient, but you might be held up by a difficult case, but not because of logistics. You're in control of your own life. And the other aspect of it is they come in with a problem and they can see the solution. When you have diabetes and you have hypertension and a host of other problems, often you feel better when your doctor corrects it, but not always. And with dermatology, you have a fungating lesion, now it's gone. You have an itchy rash, now it's gone. And usually relatively quickly. So you get a lot of accolades from your patients. Um, it's not uncommon as the dermatologist for your patients to tell you you're their favorite doctor. And it's A, because you know it's a problem that really bothers them. And B, because they're often they're going to see you when they're not super sick anyways. So, I, you know, I would say to my group that's listening, if you choose dermatology, you won't regret it. Absolutely. A note about the, uh, the aspect of being able to be in control of your life. I think for me, it's really important to get enough sleep every night. Because you get enough sleep. I think it's really ironic how in the medical profession, there's a lot of instances where you can't get a full eight, seven, eight hours of sleep. But that amount of sleep is what make, what ensures that our memory stays intact. Like pretty much every important function that you need as a doctor is intact. And, and I'm from a different era, Grace. And I only agree with you one billion percent. Back in 1981 to 82, I, I did a year of internal medicine as my, and I wouldn't recommend that to the group. I would say do a transitional year. Back in my day, it was, especially when you go to a place like Ohio State, um, it's a top medical school and they often want you to choose your hardest internship. I'm not sure that is the best thing you can do. I'd rather see you do a rotating transitional year even at a community hospital where you get time at rheumatology, time in infectious disease, you know, time with plastic surgery, time with general surgery, versus what I did, which was straight medicine at Cedar sinai in LA. And it was a time where there were no rules, Grace. You get there at 7, and you left the next day when your work was done. That could be 10 p.m. the following day, which, oh, wow. do the math, that's 39 hours. No. Yeah, 39 hours without any sleep. And talk about lack of function, lack of memory, ability to make mistakes. All of those things are compounded. And fortunately, over the last um, 40 years, we've revamped it to much less barbaric. Um, there are certain th rules in place for doctor safety, but even more important, patient safety. And you can take that a step further by being in dermatology and getting your sleep and being able to work to the best of your ability every day. And that is very rewarding. Um, can I tell you the drawbacks of dermatology to the group? Yeah, for sure. Um, so 
to me, these aren't drawbacks, but you have to consider them. You are not going to be the one running the code. You are not going to be the one holding somebody's heart in their hand. You are not going to be, you know, you're going to save lives. There's no doubt about it. But you're not going to be in that acute life-saving situation like an ER doctor, a cardiologist, a surgeon, um, an internist who's running codes. Um, you have to be willing to say that you are okay with taking care of very important issues, but not would not be considered the most um, acute issues. And I would give you another negative. And this, I'll give you a couple negatives. Um, you're busy. You're working hard. You have a full waiting room. And you have somebody with a list of such trivial nonsense you want to scream you know, and pointing to some microscopic disease you can't even see. Yet you have to be nice. You have to be kind. You have to go through it because they have anxiety and care about it. And and I'm not saying that the patients are bad. I'm not saying that you shouldn't deal with it. I'm just saying there will be times when those lists will frustrate you and you will have to muster all of your ability to continue to say, I'm here for the patient. I'm going to look at each one of these things and I will get through it. Um, if you want to make a dermatologist laugh, say to them, they're in a patient with a patient for 15 or 20 minutes. They solved every one of their issues. They have a full waiting room. They've given them all their attention. They've done everything they want. And as they're reaching for the door, the patient says to you, oh, just one more quick thing, doctor. I have hair loss, which is a two-hour problem because there's so many aspects. And, you know, you just have to figure out how you're going to deal with it because you clearly are not going to, after all that, your schedule wouldn't allow you to do it. You have to say, okay, hair loss is a major issue. Let me get a few facts now and see if it's just genetic or it's something we're going to have to look into further. And maybe I can just get some blood work right now and we're evaluated at your next visit. You've, you've got to come up with tricks of the trade because at the end of the day, I don't care about money. I'm not saying to see more patients, but you have to, When you, sometimes when I was in medical school, I felt if I do everything they say, I can work up a patient in three days. I'm sure you've all felt that way, haven't you, about all the things you're supposed to do? Sometimes you have to just figure out how to give them everything you can but still be able to see more than one patient a day, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and that's never easy, but it's worth it. it, it it's, it's necessary, unfortunately. Right, right. So when you've made your final decision to pursue dermatology, how did you approach getting ready for your application process? It is a different time than when I applied. When I applied, we had three categories, honors, pass, and fail, and we had part one and part two of the boards. And um, everybody's good at something. I was good at being a med student. So, I mean, everything was perfect. And I knew that that would be not a problem for me. But now, I, I believe part, it was part one pass-fail for you, Grace? Yes, it was. Yeah. Now that there are not as many objective parameters, um, I did, even, even though I had that skill, 
application. I still needed to get to know people. I did my rotations. Um, I did not do away because it wasn't as easy back then, but I did rotations in my um, own institution, the University of Michigan. I knew everybody extremely well. Um, I wasn't just an application. I was a person. Um, I think that any place you really want to go, uh, if you're a personable person and know how to be useful and not be annoying and um, bond with people, which I feel most of us can, definitely do your way rotation. Obviously, if you can get involved with any kind of a project, something as simple as a case report form, we have students doing clinical research with us which is incredible. They're so helpful. Um, obviously, there's lab experience. You know, um, I know Ohio State uh, is a big basic research science place. That if you can work in the lab, but even if you do nothing more than a case report and work in your clinical research area and have a few nice things on your application like that, um, that's outstanding. But I do feel that when you get to know the people where you're at, like I think, Grace, you're thinking of coming to spend time with us, right? Yes. And, you know, you see what I mean. You're going to, you you become part of the family. People know you. When we sit there at the, you know, and they go, oh, I know her, and she was super helpful, and she's uh, going to be a great clinician, or all those kind of things, that personal touch becomes really important. Yep. Got to be, got to be human through and through. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the program at UMich, uh, both when you were going through it as a resident and now um, as, as adjunct faculty? Yes. So the program at the University of Michigan, I feel is extremely uh, resident friendly. Um, we, we have a lot of time for reading a lot of time for um, all the different types of specialties. We have an excellent pediatric dermatologist, an excellent immunologist, uh, world-class uh, most surgeons. Um, I feel we have, in Kelly Harms, the best Merkel cell doctor in the world. Um, we also are associated with the oncology department. So our melanoma clinic isn't good just because for Durham, but we have all the other specialties, you know, involved uh, as well. We have um, a surgical center where uh, Dr. Cha will help you with complex closures that are not just cutaneous malignancies. Um, Jill Schwartz is an expert in the dermatology aspect of melanoma. Um, Jennifer Manusco, wait till you, she's fabulous with Pedsterm. So we really have all the bases covered. Uh, we have two chief residents, so um, that's kind of nice that it doesn't all fall on anybody. We have didactics every day. We have a grand rounds with live patients um, that you get to, it's really a very important learning experience. I'm sure they have it at Ohio State too, but yeah. ours involved the first 20 minutes, you see four or five patients. You can't ask them any questions. And then the first or second year residents start with describing and start the differential. And then the third years add to it. 
and then the attendings add to that, and then the doctor who brought them tells you your path and what's going on. So that's extremely valuable. Um, lots of opportunity to write up case reports. We do have a clinical research unit where I will work with you, and you can work with industry pro uh, projects or if you really want to do something on your own that you really want to investigate something, we will help you. Uh, we'll help you get it through the IRB. We'll do whatever it takes um, to get you going. So uh, we have a ton of residents, as many as eight a year. So you've got a lot of camaraderie. It's quite nice. I mean, I'm still very close with my residents from back then. Um, how much has it changed? Well, sure, you know, the whole thing has changed. There's more parameters, you know, there's more things that you have to have. Uh, there's logs, there's this, there's that. But at the end of the day, it's three years of studying dermatology, doing your practice boards, getting as smart as you can, doing as many procedures as you can. I would say the most important thing is um, maximize how much you do. Um, we used to always fight who could go home early if there weren't enough patients. I think, in retrospect, you should have been the one saying, I'd rather just stay, if you know what I mean. Because it's the University of Michigan, um, we have a huge inpatient, is a tertiary care center, and we have some of the most complex cases of the state of Michigan and the whole surrounding area um, that you will have to see on Durham consults, which is a devoted month. And you work with a guy by the name of Johan Goodjohnson, who might be the best dermatologist I've ever worked with in my life. And he knows absolutely everything. So you'll get excellent training. Um, for the women, uh, most of our women residents uh, have babies. We have even a room that we call our lactation room on the door. So we are very, um, we understand that we have a large uh, amount of women who need to be able to breastfeed, to do everything along those lines, to take time off to have a baby. And I feel that we have, as, much, as well as any areas I've ever seen, have embraced that, which I think is excellent as well. Yeah, again, balancing the personal life with the life in the clinic sounds like a perfect program to me. You know, it's really wonderful. And I would love it if you came here, Grace. I would love to come there, absolutely. Yeah. Um, wonder, you mentioned that you do research, uh, clinical research with the students and residents. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what kinds of research specifically that you do. So um, clinical research is interesting because you know everything is so looked over by monitors and everything so i right now i am doing um research on jack inhibitors for atopic derm jack inhibitors um for vitiligo biologics for perigo nodularis uh, biologics for atopic dermatitis and um Everyone, oh, and of course, we are doing personal sponsored things. I'm working with Johan Good Johnson and Michelle Kallenberg, uh, who's my personal favorite rheumatologist who ever lived. 
and we're, we're treating cutaneous lupus with a TIC2 inhibitor that she's really planned out the whole thing. And so um, we work with other departments. We, um, there's a lot of um, oncology and neurology studies going on where we have to do skin checks for them. It's kind of mundane, but it needs to be done. And what I try to teach my, my um, residents is you, it's really going to fall on you. Like um, when you're doing your history and physical for these things, make sure every drug in the record and every drug that they take is on the form and every drug that they take on your medical history, it seems, how do I say it? It seems obvious even to a third or fourth year medical student, but you can't imagine how often it isn't. Like I look at the work and um, they have lisinopril listed. And then I look at the medical history sheet and under cardiovascular, it says normal. I'm thinking, if lisinopril's there, I need hypertension here. And it might sound, uh, it's kind of obvious, but when it comes to clinical research, all that stuff has to be perfect. Same thing with adverse events. Uh, you have to know how to handle them. What is an adverse event? Uh, what's a serious adverse event? Severe and serious are different. Serious means something life-threatening or disabling or involving a pregnancy. Severe could be just a terrible um, respiratory problem that doesn't hit the, if, if they're hospitalized, now it becomes serious. And that has to be reported in 24 hours. And also something as simple as closeouts. If you, many of us do clinical research in our office and you have to know how to do it. So like I say to them, what I don't like is if somebody comes in today with bronchitis and they put them on amoxicillin and you document that and then you're out of town in six months and I'm covering your patient and I see amoxicillin still in the concomitant medications and it was never closed out, that gets me down, Grace. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I can see and that. And that's the kind of things that I really say you've got to do. Even something as simple as um, asking. I watch them you know, before I've trained them and I, they say they've had no adverse events. So I go into the room and I say, you know, Mr. Jones, you've had no adverse events. Absolutely not. Have you been to the dentist? Well, yeah, last week. Why? Abscess tooth. Okay. You got to put it down. Have you been to the ER? Yes. Why? Twisted ankle. You got to put it down. You can't just ask, have you had any adverse events? You're going to think, things related to the medication. But to me, everything's related until proven otherwise. Does that make sense? That does make sense. You don't want to leave any stones unturned. Right. And you, it just also depends how you ask. And this seems like third and fourth year or early third year med student stuff, but I need to train them all on it. No, it's important regardless of what stage you're in. Yep. So you also run a practice over in Dearborn, Michigan. Yes. Yeah. Walk our listeners through a typical day during that practice. Absolutely. My practice has aged with me. Um, I see less acne 
and more older people with cutaneous malignancies, actinic keratoses, uh, skin checks for melanoma, and um, less acne. And I'll still see poison ivy, eczema, candidiasis of skin folds. But uh, when I first started in 85 and I was 30, I had a ton more acne. Truth be told, uh, to run a successful dermatology practice and not be totally bogged down, you do need a fair amount of procedures and um, cutaneous malignancies and skin checks. Unfortunately, due to issues of pharmacy benefit managers and other issues, it has become so difficult to get any medication that's not an all-time generic covered. Um, you can see an acne patient that pays 70 or $80 to you and spend three or four hours trying to get medications approved um, and often unsuccessfully. So it has become harder to see office visits in some cases. Some cases easier. For instance, with all the new medications, because I do a lot with the biologics for psoriasis and atopic derm, patients who I haven't been able to control in the past are now doing incredibly well. But once again, you know, my uh, medical assistants and office staff cringe when I start putting them on it because these drugs are 80 to 100,000 a year. And the insurance companies, appropriately so, fight back saying, do they really need it? Because if they did, they'd be bankrupt. Um, so there is challenges with that. Why, when you're just removing a skin cancer or freezing AKs, there aren't. So you need a mixture of both. I would say I'm 80% uh, cutaneous malignancies, older people with um, actinic keratosis and skin checks, at 20% psoriasis, acne, atopic dermatitis, and other acute problems from poison ivy uh, to, um, you know, warts and things along that line. Uh, but it's all rewarding. It's just in order to make your day flow smoothly, you kind of need a mix of both. Um, the patients are usually happy in my opinion, pretty compliant. Um, now, let's talk cosmetics. In 1985, when I first started, I got involved with, there wasn't as much back then. There was uh, some laser resurfacing, sclerotherapy for veins, Zyderm, which was the first filler, and um, no Botox even. Hmm. And over the years, it has become so much more prevalent to have a cosmetic population. In the mid nineties, just right when my daughter was being born and she's, she'll be 29 in, in uh, June. Um, so 29 years ago, I gave up sclerotherapy because although the vast majority were happy, you are gonna get a small percent of body dysmorphic and you have to be ready to deal with that. They will be some of your most difficult patients. 99% of my cosmetic patients loved them, but that 1% can hijack your day. So you have to be ready for it. I have frequently said, before I die, I'd like to write a five questionnaire, five question questionnaire to weed them out. Because if you could do that, cosmetics would be so much more rewarding. Uh, but 
because of that and because of my experience back then and also because it wasn't as big of a deal back then, uh, I moved away from cosmetics. But I do believe almost all of you will probably be doing it. Right, right. I'm wondering how you dealt with some of the more difficult patients going off of that. Fortunately, it's not that common. I mean, um, I do find that when you're dealing with difficult patients, uh, to recognize what they're dealing with, um, you obviously don't want to implicate yourself if you've done nothing wrong. Clearly, if a mistake was made, you should always um, you should always own up to whatever is going on. You should never hide anything. They hate that, but um, I think listening is the biggest and asking what you can do to help rectify the situation for them. Um, what are they looking for? Um, what, are, what is their beef? Um, how can you make them whole? It's not always going to be possible, but usually with good rapport, you can get through it. It's never fun. Truthfully, the biggest issue that I would always say to anybody at your level is it's the patients might complain about something trivial, but the attorneys, they really want damages. So if the patient is angry and there's really no damages, you can do whatever you can to pacify them but that's as far as it's going to go. When there's damages, even if you've done nothing wrong, they're trying to figure out how you did. And, you know, that's where I hate to say it, you almost have to call your insurance carrier. But um, people always go, oh, what's the most important aspect of a malpractice suit? Oh, standard of care, getting along with the patient, all that's important. But my favorite, my favorite example is a patient comes to you and you ask, are you allergic to Augmentin, which is an amoxicillin, uh, on, you know, beefed up. And they say, absolutely not. I've taken it before. And I'm no, they say, um, see, are you allergic to Augmentin? And the patient says, um, Yes, uh, I'm allergic to Augmentin. You give it to them anyways, complete malpractice, and he has one day of a rash. The rash goes away in 24 hours. He's mad as hell, but not a single lawyer is interested. Okay? Right? Yeah. Because there's nothing, there's no damages. There's no money to be made. He's not going to spend $100,000 because you itched for a day because he knows the jury isn't going to do crap for him. Same patient comes in, only you ask them, are you allergic to Augmentum? They say, absolutely not. I've taken it before. I'll have no problem. The patient gets toxic epidermal necrolysis. All the skin falls off and they die and they're 25 years old. Well, now the family's going, what the hell happened? You asked. Now the lawyer, they go to the lawyer and here's a case where you did everything right, but the lawyer goes, he shouldn't have chose Augmentum. That wasn't the right one. You understand what I mean? They'll find a reason 
why giving amogmentin was no good, even though it was okay. Does that make sense? Because a 25-year-old died, and now there's money to be made. Am I making sense to you, Grace? Yeah, it's like the the obvious, like you said, the damages. It's it's, the damages. Even if you do everything right, you lose a 25-year-old, and if they're litigious, they'll find somebody who's interested. You understand what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's really important to learn. And, you know, it's not it's not something that's discussed too much early on in third year, fourth year, or even before that. So, yeah, it's, it's a good discussion for sure. Um, yeah, going back to your practice, um, is, this a, is this a solo practice? Do you work with other physicians? Oh, no, no, it's a solo practice. It's, okay. you know, it's... Um, it's it's less common these days, but um, it is nice to have complete um, autonomy and do whatever you want. Right. Yeah. That's 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 really. I think that's one of the big pros for sure. Is this a practice that you founded yourself? No. This practice was bought from a dermatologist who started in 1965 by the University of Michigan. No, by by a solo practitioner. Started in 1965, and then when he retired in 85, he sold it to U of M, and I ran it as a satellite for them until 89. And they said, you know, it's it's not a good model for us. And then I just gave them um, a buyout for it and just kept it. Gotcha. Okay. Are there particular derm conditions or procedures that are um, uh, that are your favorites by chance? Oh God, yes. Um, Removal, removing skin cancer by far, um, very rewarding because you're really helping people. Um, I like biopsying lesions and figuring out what it is. Um, I'd have to say cutting out skin cancer because yeah. I hate cancer and love to cut it out. Yeah, and treating, even curing cancer is even more rewarding. Very rewarding. It's my favorite. Yeah. Who are the Dermpath um, people that you usually, yeah. I use a Pincus Lab, which is out of Monroe, Michigan. They're part of Aurora now, and uh, they're excellent. They do a fabulous job. I get a quick turnaround, and um, I don't read my own slides. Many derms do, and you're allowed to, uh, but um, I prefer not. Mm-hmm. If you read your own slides, you still have to have a second person read it. Not that I know of for sure, at least not in the past. Okay. Okay. So it's just, it's just a matter of personal preference. It sounds like. Right. Right. Gotcha. You you make money for doing it, but um, I think it's more difficult now, especially with all the special stains and procedures. And I mean, the really routine things, sure. Uh, but I guess you could read all your seborrheic keratosis, your actinic keratosis, your squamous cells, your basal cells. But when you're getting involved with inflammatory skin diseases and pigmented lesions, I don't know. I think it's riskier. Right, right. Well, Dr. Goldfarb, now that you are, you've been an attending, what would you say to your past self back in medical school now that you've had all this experience and you are where you are today? I would say to myself, do exactly what you're thinking. Go into dermatology. There is no doubt in my mind that it is the best field in medicine for me. Um, Whether that's true for everybody, maybe not. But I have seldom 
met anybody, you know, obviously it's people who choose it, but I have seldom met anybody in dermatology who has said, God, do I wish I had done something else? Yet if you, re if you look at some of the statistics, family medicine, internal medicine, and so many of the other fields, the burnout rate and one out of five who are in their 30s are thinking of getting out. We just don't see that in dermatology. So I think you're really increasing your chance of career satisfaction if you choose derm now. Absolutely. And I've, I've heard that myself as well. It's, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who, you know, regrets their choice or wish, wishes they had done something else. I literally can think of one person in 40 years who, who said that, and that's it. What were their reasons? Um, she was actually my co-resident in 1982, and, um, her husband was a neurologist and it just wasn't a good fit for her. And she wanted to do neurology with him. So hmm. she quit and did a neuro. She had done a year of neuro and then did derm and then went back and finished her neurology residency. Interesting. I know. Blows my mind to this day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another thing I wanted to ask. Uh, I know you mentioned much, much earlier that, uh, that you do skin checks both for um, the oncology and the neurology department. I'm wondering what the sort of specific reasons for the skin checks for neurology. Well, one of it was a, a new drug uh, for Alzheimer's that was causing vitiligo response they wanted me to look at. Another one was uh, a new drug for obesity that was causing, um, this was a neurology, this was endocrine, that was causing hyperpigmentation of the skin and changing of pigmented lesions. Um, oncology, there were immunosuppressors and they were worried about cutaneous malignancies appearing. So each one's a little bit different. Right, sounds like a mix of adverse events. Exactly, exactly, Grace. Yeah. Do you happen to have any final words of advice for pre-clinical med students and or clinical med students who are fully 110% convinced that this is, this is the field that they want to go into? I would say to them all, get to know the people in your department, do some away rotations, be engaging, uh, do a case report or two, and I can't imagine it's not going to work out for you. I love writing case reports and I'm sure the audience does too. So we'll definitely, we'll definitely do it. And we hope to join the dermatology family. Well, thank you, Grace, for having me tonight. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Goldfarb. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermeinterestpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice diagnosis, or treatment. 